0: Well, we are in a series called If at First You Don't Succeed. And we kicked this off last week talking about this idea of uh, when we don't succeed, what do we often do? We, we go back to that childhood phrase of at first you don't succeed, what? Yeah, try, try again. And we talked about how uh, trying doesn't always work. In fact, in some cases, trying leads to less trying. Trying can lead us to uh, being burnt out and kind of giving up altogether because we tried before. In fact, we, we tried several times before and we didn't get the results we wanted. We didn't get success. And so we end up kind of throwing our hands up and going, well, I guess I'm never going to change. I guess I could never make a difference in this area of my life. And so trying actually leads to less trying. So we introduced this idea last week that training, training is better than trying. That, that training is small practices that enable us to do what we currently cannot do through direct effort. And that trying is simply relying on direct effort alone or doing nothing between now and that moment in the future and hoping that when we get there, we have enough resources, enough self-control, enough willpower to make the right decision or to do the right thing. And I used a couple of running examples last week and I, and I got an email that I wanted to share with you from Scott, uh, Scott's an attender here at Browns Bridge. His wife, uh, Jenna, they, they volunteer over in Upstreet. And in fact, I asked him, I said, hey, do you mind if I share your email? And he goes, oh yeah, he goes, we embarrass ourselves every week in Upstreet on the stage. So sure enough, go go for it. So he wrote me, he was talking about the, the series and he said, when I, when I met my wife, um, she was a passionate runner. And after our first date, she said that she was running a 10K that weekend and her running partner had dropped out and asked if I would run it with her. I said, absolutely, sounds great. So at that point I had to go home and Google what a 10K was. (laughs) And it was then that I knew I was in trouble. I had to run six miles in less than a week. So I went to a running store and I bought running shoes. And open the box and put them on the morning of the race. (laughs) Apparently you shouldn't do that either. If you're a runner, you know, that's like big, big no, no. About a mile in, I was ready to die. And she looked at me and said, you're not a runner, are you? (laughs) And I thought, you know, that, that is, that is such a great example of what we're talking about in this series. Scott, Scott was just trying, wasn't he? Scott had not, been able to train for that at all. He was just showing up day of and was hoping that he had the resources to accomplish that. And he didn't have the resources to accomplish it, did he? <clears throat> and we talked about this last week that, that, that really the beginning of training is we've got to admit that I can't, admit that we can't. And think about Scott, it would have been much better for him if he would have just said, you know what, that's, thank you for the invitation, but I can't, you know, that would have saved him a lot of heartache. And um, talked about this idea that, you know, this makes sense physically. Like we understand the idea of training when it comes to a marathon or a CrossFit challenge or losing weight or gaining weight or whatever we're trying to do physically. We know that training is going to be required, but that we can do the same thing when it comes to the invisible things in our lives, the things that matter most, the things that we, we know we're affecting our family or affecting our relationships or affecting our jobs. And we, we tried to fix them, but we just haven't been able to through direct effort alone. And so we're talking about in this series, let's stop trying. Let's stop trying and let's start training. I mentioned last week that I'm a bit of a runner and um, one of my favorite races that I've done a handful of times is the Peachtree Road Race. Has anybody in here ever done the Peachtree Road Race? I imagine we've got a bunch of folks. If you're new to Atlanta, Peachtree Road Race is the world's largest 10K. Something like 60,000 people show up every July 4th in downtown Atlanta and you run down Peachtree Road and then you finish in Piedmont Park. It's a really great experience. There's tons of energy on the sides of the road. There's people throwing out t-shirts and handing out donuts and doing all sorts of things. The whole 6.2 miles cheering you on, it's a lot of fun. Well, several years ago, um, twenty I think this was 2017, one of the years I was running it, they took a picture of me. This is, this is about mile four of a 10K. And um, it looks like I'm doing really good. It looks like I'm really happy. Um, but this is actually the last of four pictures that were taken within just a, a few seconds. Click. I'm sure the photographer was like, click, 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 you know? So, so this, this is how I looked in the fourth picture, but then this is the third picture. And then this is the second picture. And then this finally is the first picture. And and just for effect, can we zoom in on that face there? (laughs) That's what was really going on. Now, what happened? I mean, you can probably already tell what happened. I'm running along at mile four of this, of this 10K. And all of a sudden I see a photographer that's like zoomed in on me, like taking pictures of me. And I thought, and like it dawns on me right here. I, I see the photographer. I'm kind of making eye contact there. And then you'll slowly see me start to straighten up a little bit more of a smile, a little bit better posture. And finally this guy. <laughs> I'm even giving the thumbs up. Like isn't this wonderful? <laughs> now, if you're not a runner, I just, you this is not going to be a surprise to you, but this, this is not how you're supposed to look at mile four of a 10K. Okay. Like now if you're, if you're just walking it or just doing it for fun, that's, that's, that's one thing. But if you're actually running it, and you're competing and you, you know, you're trying to lower your, your time and, and uh, you know, uh, m- improve your personal best, this is not what you're supposed to look like in a 10K. This is what you're supposed to look like at mile four of a 10K. But again, for me, somebody was watching. Of course, there was tons of people watching, but all of a sudden it's like when that photographer had the lens focused in on me, it's like, oh, you know, I, I, I didn't wanna look weak. I didn't wanna look tired. I didn't want to look like I was on the verge of collapse. All of which were true, by the way. I wanted to look like this guy. And after the race, um, you get an email, you know, with, hey, here's the the photos with you in it. And they use your your race number to pull up all the photos that your number is in. And, And so I'm clicking through, you know, there's probably 30, 35 photos. And I get to this series and I'm clicking through them. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like and then I go back through them and I click through them again and I was like wait a second <laughs> I I I caught myself red-handed faking it. I'm like I am faking it. This is so embarrassing. Like I can't believe I would do this. And and in that moment I was I really was I was I was embarrassed at what I was seeing in these pictures. But then gradually it kind of dawned on me. I said, "You know what? I ended up being thankful for this because because these pictures they're 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 actually a great example of what we all do." in life. We all are tempted to fake it at some point, aren't we? I mean, it may play out in the form of exaggeration. You know, we make things seem a little bit better than they actually are. It could be in the form of of covering up weakness or some sort of struggle in our lives. You, you might be already thinking about ways this may play out in your life, but one of the easiest ways that uh, all of us is guilty of is when someone asks you how you're doing, what do you say? No, y'all can say that. When someone asks you how you're doing, what do you say? Yeah, fine, good, great. That's your answer 100% of the time. Now, let me ask you another question. Is your life always fine, good, and great? <laughs> no, it's not, right? So there, there are times where all of us answer, oh yeah, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm doing good, doing good, yeah. Too blessed to stress, my friend, doing awesome. (laughs) Meanwhile, everything's falling apart over here and it's, oh no, we're great, we're great, you know? Uh, If you enjoy fishing, uh, if you're a fisherman in here, you've certainly been guilty of this. All fishermen, you know, you tell the story and it's like the fish starts out this big and then it gets this big and this big and this big. I went uh, fly fishing for the first time about a year and a half ago and finally caught a trout and I was so excited. It was not very big, okay? It was like this big, okay? And, and they were like, hey, hold it up for the picture. And so I, I took the fish. I didn't want the fish to slip out of my hands. So I'm holding it like real close here, like smiling, like I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy, you know? woo you know? And, and the guy took a couple pictures. He was like, oh no, 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 you need to hold the fish out. Some of y'all already know this. Some of you are fishermen in here and you're like, oh man, what a rookie mistake, hold it here. It's like, you got a hold up. So <clears throat> turns out when you do this, basically he put the camera like right up on the fish, like this close and took the picture. It looked like I was holding a shark. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I see what you did there. And of course those pictures were much more fun to send to our friends. Like, hey man, I'm, I'm crushing it over here fishing. You know, look at how big this fish is. <clears throat> this plays out in a bunch of different ways this temptation to fake it. Social media is probably the the number one place, okay? Uh, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands of who in here has either faked it a little bit on social media or seen someone fake it. I know every hand would go up because you know the people and you know what's going on in their lives and you know maybe behind the scenes a little bit and yet they're posting, hey, hashtag best life ever, okay? Best self, I'm finding my best self here. In fact, that phrase I think is, is... causes a lot of us to fake it. We feel like we're supposed to be living our best life. We feel like we're supposed to be experiencing our best self and anything short of that, we're just kind of disappointed in. We think other people would be disappointed in. So we're just tempted to fake it. My, my wife and I joined this gym um, about a year and a half ago called Hot Works. Has anybody heard of it? It's, it's where you work out inside a sauna. That sounds like cruel and unusual punishment, doesn't it? And yet people sign up to do this. We signed up to do this. And so you, you get into the sauna and there's just a, there's a TV in there with the instructors, a video of the instructors playing, which I think that's kind of funny. That, that should be a, uh, an indication that the trainers won't even go into the saunas. Like, <laughs> so I'm in there one time and I'm doing this power bike. You know, it's where you bike and you push at the same time. And it's 130 degrees, right? So you can just guess how I was doing in that moment. And the instructors, they, they not only instruct, they also try to what? They, they try to motivate, don't they? You know, if you've ever been in a class like this, it's not like they're just telling you what to do, which would be nice, because it's like in that moment, I don't need any motivation. I'm already in here. Like, I just need to do what the workout says to do, and then I'll move on to the happier things in life. But they try to bring in that motivation. And so this lady's like, hey, why did you come into the sauna today? Find your purpose. Find your you. Who?" Huh who's your best self? Find your best self. And I mean, she starts doing this. I start getting irritated, right? She's like, who's your best self? And I'm like, oh, like I just start getting more and more upset because she's like trying to motivate me in this thing. That phrase, best self, that phrase, live in your best life. Again, it tempts all of us at some point to just exaggerate a little bit, make things look a little bit better, cover up a little bit of the struggles that are going on in our lives. And we get tempted we get tempted to fake it. And when we fake it, it costs us something. We may think it's a really small thing, that little bit of exaggeration here, a little bit of kind of a counterfeit self here. We, we think it's small. We think, okay, this really isn't gonna matter much in the end, but the reality is it costs us something. It affects us and it affects us in ways that we don't even know. Researchers at uh, the University of North Carolina did this study in 2015 uh, where they were looking at the effects of using or wearing counterfeit goods. Okay, so those goods that you would buy on the street somewhere that have a name brand on them, but they aren't really the real thing. You know, you pay a fraction of the cost. It looks real, it feels real, but it's a counterfeit item. So it, this is a really fascinating study. You can, you can just Google fake glasses experiment um, and you can pull it up and read all the details. I kind of nerd out over this stuff, so I'm gonna try to keep it high level. But they basically took a huge group of people, they split them up and randomly assigned one group to be the counterfeit sunglass group and one group to be the designer sunglass group. And they split them up and they sent them into different rooms. And there were boxes of sunglasses in there that said real and counterfeit. And all the folks in the real group had to grab the real, real designer sunglasses. And the counterfeit folks had to take glasses out of a, a, a box that said counterfeit sunglasses. Now, they were all the same exact sunglasses. They were all designer sunglasses, three or $400 retail. They had them put on these glasses and begin to do a series of experiments. And they set up the experiments in a way to see how honest people would be, how ethical they would be when wearing the counterfeit sunglasses versus wearing the designer sunglasses. One part of the experiment, they had to do a series of math problems. And they, they had the problems over here and did the work over here. And then they had a separate sheet for grading. And they set it up to where they would turn in their their work over here, drop it into a box, and then they would turn in their answer sheet over here, and it gave them a chance to fabricate their score if they wanted to. And they actually got paid on the amount of scores they got correct. And so it set up this opportunity for them to cheat just a little bit, to lie just a little bit. And what they found was 30%, 30%, the, design, the designer group, 30% of the folks fabricated their scores, exaggerated their scores a little bit, okay? That's just the idea that, okay, if given the opportunity to, to cheat or steal, sure, some people are going to do that. Some people are gonna take advantage of it. In the counterfeit group though, 71%, 71% of the people inflated their scores when they turned it in. Just simply by being told, hey, you're wearing a pair of counterfeit sunglasses. Again, they weren't even counterfeit sunglasses. They were real sunglasses. They were just told, hey, these are fake. These are phony. And and so what what do you and I, what what, what should we take away from this study? Well, husbands, you shouldn't have bought your wives that fake Louis Vuitton purse. (laughs) That fake Kate Spade that you thought was a killer gift and she'll never know the difference. It's real. Nope. You're gonna going turn your wife into a, into a burglar or something. No, <laughs> just kidding. No, what, what we see in the study is that a little fake, a little fake can cost us a lot. Just a little fake, just a little counterfeit self can cost us a lot. And without us even knowing, we're not even aware of how it's affecting us or the other areas of life it may be affecting us. And so today, as we continue in the series on success and the things in life that are important to you and I, it could be, it could be the thing that's costing you and I success or victory in that area that we're struggling in. It could be the thing that's causing us, uh, costing us freedom in that area that we're struggling in. But at a minimum, it's gonna cost us something. And the only cure, the only cure for our tendency to fake it is other people. You and I can't solve our propensity to fake it, our temptation to fake it on our own. And when it comes to training, you can't train alone. You can try, but, you know, it's much more effective when you've got other people in it with you. It doesn't matter if it's going to the gym, if it's training for a race. If you've got somebody else that you're talking to about that, connecting to around that, you're gonna be much more likely to stick with the program and continue to train. You know this, you know this, that it takes two, right? It takes two to what? It takes two to make a thing go right. (laughs) If you're in your 40s, MC Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, they told us it takes two to make a thing go right. If you're a little bit older, it might've been Marvin Gaye and Kim Weston saying it takes two. It takes two, baby. It takes two to make a dream come true. There's wisdom in this. What's interesting is uh, they were not the first to say this. Thousands of years before artists were singing about this, uh, an ancient king of Israel was talking about this idea, Solomon. Uh, Solomon was David's son. He was the king of Israel. And he wrote books of wisdom. He was considered the wisest man in the world, and and he said this in Ecclesiastes 4. Again, this would have been about 1,000 years BC that he wrote this, that two are better than one. You can't train alone. Two are better than one because they what? They have a good return for their labor. And then he's gonna unpack why they have a good return for their labor. If If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. Also, if two lie down together, now it's not what you're thinking, okay? If two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? This, this was about survival. Um, if you were traveling in, the, in 1000 BC in Israel it gets very cold there throughout the year, and you're just sleeping under the stars with maybe a piece of fabric or some sort of makeshift tent, you need the body heat of another person to stay warm. Now, I... Discovered this through a personal experience uh, about 10 years ago. Um, I went backcountry camping with one of my best friends, Chris. He's a childhood friend of mine. And um, when I say backcountry camping, some of you know what I mean. It basically means you don't have the comforts of a car or electricity or um, a little mini fridge to wake up to in the morning. It's like, no, you, whatever you need, you pack into your backpack and you hike five miles into the woods. And if you didn't bring it with you, you're not going to have it with you. So we, we pack up all our stuff. And one of the things we did was we made these things called silver turtles. We'd never done it before, but um, silver turtles are, you take tinfoil and you put a bunch of meat and vegetables in there. And then you dump a bunch of steak marinade on top of it. You wrap it up in the tinfoil. And then when you get to your campsite and you make your fire, you just set it on the coals and it kind of cooks and steams the meat. And then you have this delicious meal as you're out there in the woods, And uh, so we pack that in my bag. We start hiking in. What we forgot to do was put the silver turtles in a Ziploc bag. But yeah, you're, I, you're smarter than we were because <laughs> we didn't think of it. And obviously tinfoil doesn't do a great job holding all that in. So slowly as we hike the five miles into the woods, the steak marinade and the juices from the meat and the, the vegetables just kind of soaked down through my entire backpack. My sweatpants, my sweatshirt, my sleeping bag. And this was May of that year and it was gonna get down to about 60 degrees, which doesn't sound that cold. And it's not that cold when you're like up, walking around and moving, but it's real cold when you're laying still and trying to sleep through the night. And um, Chris and I had both brought hammocks to sleep in. If you've never slept in a hammock, it may change your view of camping. It's way better than sleeping on the ground, way more comfortable. The problem is you're up in the air. And so you, have, you don't have the insulation of the ground. So it's much colder to sleep in a hammock as well, which wouldn't have been a problem if I had had my sweatpants and my sweatshirt and my sleeping bag. But those were covered in steak marinade. And I didn't want to be like this hanging piece of <laughs> steak marinated person, you know, for all the bears out there. So we, we hung my bag up in a tree like 30 yards away, like real high up in a tree, way far away from us. And it got time to go to sleep and it was kind of chilly, but I was like, no, nah, it's fine. I can push through. I was in shorts and a t-shirt because it was warm during the day when we were hiking in. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make it through. We're going to be fine. I get in the hammock. I kind of wrap myself up. 30 minutes go by, 45 minutes go. It's getting colder and colder and I'm, I'm wide awake. I cannot sleep at all. So finally I called to Chris and said, hey, Chris, uh, can I borrow your, I had to wake him up. He was sleeping like a bear over there. Um, hey Chris, can I borrow, can I borrow your uh, your blanket, your sleeping bag? And he got Like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, hands it to me. So I get it, cuddle up, boom. I am warm within about five minutes, I am out. And about the same time that I fall asleep, he calls out and wakes me up, says, hey man, I'm sorry, I gotta have my blanket back. Gotta have the the sleeping bag back. So I was like begrudgingly, okay, here you go, buddy. And still, I told myself again, I was like, it's fine. If I can just get to sleep, I'll be able to sleep through the night. I won't even think about it, won't feel it, whatever. So I'd try again, 30 minutes goes by, 45 minutes goes by, an hour goes by. And finally, I said, that's it. And I got out of my hammock. And I walked a few feet that way over to his hammock. And I discovered that night that if two lie down together, (laughs) they will keep warm. That's what Solomon's saying here. And then he wraps up this, this bit of wisdom about two is better than one with this last verse. He says, though two, excuse me, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. He's talking about when you're traveling on the road in ancient Israel, you could come across all sorts of dangers. They could be in the form of, of someone, uh, you know, other people trying to um, rob you, mug you. It could come in the form of animals that you face. And if you're by yourself, if you're by yourself, you're not gonna have a great chance to defend yourself. But if there's two of you, you can defend yourself. Again, this was about survival. And this is why two is better than one. It sounds like common sense and it is. That's, that's, what, that's what Solomon was giving. He was given common sense language in the physical sense for 3,000 years ago. Now, today it doesn't necessarily affect us or apply to us in the same way. We, we have a number of different uh, things technology-wise that, that can help us if, if you... If you fall down and you're by yourself, what do you do? You just call someone and you say what? You say, I've fallen and I can't get up. You know, if you're, if you're cold, you just turn up the central heating and air. If, if, you're, if you're beginning to get overpowered, you can call for help. So it doesn't necessarily apply in a practical sense in the same way to us, but there is something present in these verses that is so important for you and for me. And Solomon doesn't mention them because he didn't have to. He was talking about physical survival. He was talking about common sense wisdom for them. And we don't need that necessarily in the physical sense, but we all could use it with the things that we can't see. With those parts of our lives that we would say are most important. Those parts of our lives where maybe we're struggling a little bit and we know, gosh, if I could just hit a button and solve this one problem, life would be so much better. And so I wanna go back through these verses and I wanna draw out what's not being said that's being said. What Solomon is is saying without having to say it because it's that principle that you and I will take away today. He says that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. How? Why? Why can one help the other up? How can one help the other up? Because, and this is what Solomon is not saying, because he doesn't have to, because they see exactly what is going on with the other. If one of them, if they're walking along a path and one of them cries for help, it's not like the other one would go, hmm, I wonder what's up with him. I wonder what's up with her. No, there's no question. It's right there in front of them. If they're walking together on the path and and he sees someone fall down the side of the cliff or sees their foot get stuck in a rock, they would know exactly what was going on. Solomon continues. He says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Again, they would know exactly what the other is experiencing. Both of them are experiencing the cold weather. And so when one cuddles up to the other or gets in the hammock with the other, they would know exactly what's going on. They would know exactly why that person did that. It's because they're both experiencing the cold. They both know what the other is going through. And then lastly, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Because again, if someone were to cry for help, I need help over here, they wouldn't be sitting there going, hmm, well, I don't don't really know how to help you. No, they would know exactly how to help them because there's a lion right in front of you or because there's a band of thieves right there and they're about to attack you. It's like, we're in this together. I see what's going on in your life. In Solomon's examples here, there was no hiding. There was no faking. There was no answering, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And so what's being said that's not being said by Solomon is that two are better than one. Two are better than one as long as, as long as no one is faking it. Two are better than one. You need people in your life. I need people in my life. And two are better than one. It will benefit you. It will benefit me. There will be a good return as long as you're being real. As long as you and I are resisting the urge, the temptation that all of us have to fake it. But as soon as you start faking, as soon as you uh, start covering up a little bit, exaggerating, exaggerating a little bit, as soon as you start not being real, even just a little bit, you will lose the benefit of the others in your life and you'll lose the benefit that Solomon is talking about in this ancient wisdom. It's not possible. It's not possible as long as you're trying to be this guy right here. And so as we're talking about success, the areas of life where you've tried, tried again, and it hasn't worked, and you're tired of trying, you want another way, a different way, if at first you don't succeed, if at first you don't succeed, find someone to be real with. Find someone to tell. Be honest with them. Be candid with them. And when you do this, it opens up the door to their help in your life. It opens up the door to the benefit that Solomon was talking about. Opens up the door for two to truly be better than one. When you're honest about your anger, you're honest about what it's cost you, what it's done in your life, you tell somebody about that, you've just opened the door to begin to get help in that area. You're honest about your greed, your desire for things that that you know is unhealthy when you're honest about your jealousy. You know, you, you feel things, see things and, and different things go on inside of you when you're scrolling social media, but no one really knows about it and you kind of keep it to yourself and, and, and you know you would just love to be free from that feeling of envy and jealousy that you get. When you tell somebody about that, it opens up the door to their help, your pride, issues of self-control, however that may play out for you. you tell somebody about it, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they are able to help you. It's as if, it's as if the two of you are on a path walking together and one of you falls down. You fall down. The other person can help you up because they know exactly what's going on in your life. It's as if uh, you're trying to sleep at night and you're cold. And that person knows exactly what you're going through. They can help keep you warm. It's it's as it's as if you're on the road and you're about to get overpowered by something. But because someone else knows what's going on, they can come to your defense. And two are better than one in that moment. This principle makes so much sense in the physical, but it is just as powerful. And it is just as true with the things that we cannot see. But only, only, only if you resist the urge to fake it. It's honestly, it's it's like going to the doctor, thinking about this in another way. Imagine going to the doctor and just telling the doctor, I'm fine. Now, a lot of times we go to checkups and we're like, yeah, there's nothing major going on in my life. But imagine that you really did have something going on. You did have something you were concerned about, but you told your doctor, no, I'm fine. What's he gonna do? He's gonna, hey, breathe in, let me hear your heartbeat. Okay, yep, you're good, see ya. You know, he's gonna send you on your way. He can't help you if he doesn't know. And then if you were to tell him, hey, I'm hurting, what's the first thing he's gonna ask you? Well, where? Tell me about it. What's the other stuff that's going on? He's gonna try to find the exact nature of what's going on in your life so that he can help. And other people, other people can do this for us. They're not doctors, not, not in the physical sense. We don't want to lean to other people for our health advice, okay? But when it comes to our impatience, our greed, our self-control, those areas of minor weakness that we, maybe minor weaknesses, major weaknesses that we don't really know what to do with, we don't know who to talk to about it. When we invite other people into that, it can make a huge difference in our lives. I mentioned last week the 12-step program um, and just what a transformational program, uh, the amount of lives that have been changed through this. And we looked at step one last week. Step five of the 12-step program, if you know anybody that's been in recovery, maybe you've been in recovery, uh, you, you know this. But step five is that we admitted to God, ourselves, and to another human the exact nature of our wrongs. And we see this and we, you might be thinking to yourself, well, is two out of three okay? Because, <laughs> you know, we're fine with talking to God about it and we're fine with admitting it to ourselves, but really, like, do I have to, do I have to go to this step? And the reality is, yeah, you can't stop there. If you want that transformational power, if you want to see the benefit that Solomon talked about, the benefit that's so common knowledge and the physical things in our lives, We want to see that benefit. We've got to find someone. we got to pick someone and be real with them. If at first you don't succeed, find someone. Pick somebody in your life and be real with them and tell them the exact situation that you're in. The more detailed, the more specific, the better the help. Vagueness, vagueness is not your friend here because we can hide behind obscurity, can't we? We can hide behind like, oh, I'm kind of embarrassed about this. So I'm just going to be a little bit unclear. We give like a summary statement. You know, "Uh, yeah, I've kind of been losing my temper a lot lately. What does that mean? And and when you give a, a summary statement, you get sympathy. You don't necessarily get help. Because when we give a summary statement, every one of us in here could go, well, yeah, who hasn't been there? Sure, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, me too. Yeah, totally. I've experienced that. When we're vague and we're unclear, we don't necessarily get the help that's available. We gotta be specific. Not just, hey, I lost my temper a lot this weekend, but no, specifically, how many times? Three times. Well, what'd you do and what'd you say? Get specific about it. So here's my challenge to you. Here's my challenge to you. This week, Whatever success is, and again, we're not talking about money and fame and career. We're talking about those areas of life that we have tried, tried again, and we continue to fail. Whatever that area of life is for you, whatever success is, I want you to find someone and be real with them. Today is the day. This week is the week. Don't wait. Get clarity on what that thing is and then ask yourself, who? Who who am I going to tell? Who am I going to share this with? And then go share it. For me, I have uh, two guys in my life that I share everything with. My good friend, Chris from the hammock. (laughs) And then another guy named Tim, who used to be one of our pastors on staff here. And we just have a pattern. We have a rhythm in life of when one of us is in the car, driving to work, driving home from work, we'll call each other. So we'll talk on the phone at least one or two times a week. And when we pick up the phone, we'll, we'll, we'll say, hey, how's it going? And you know what we never say? We never say fine. We never say great. That, that's not to say that we don't, we don't celebrate the good. We certainly celebrate the good. We'll talk about good things going on, but we don't just give that, that automatic answer. We talk about the things that were burdening us, the things that have weighed us down, the conversations that have been hard today, the situations that have been hard today, the areas where I failed, the areas where I blew it. And that's become our pattern. And it's been so helpful through the years. In fact, in many ways, I don't think I'd be standing up here if it wasn't for those two guys in my life. Now, you may hear that and go, I don't, I don't have anybody in my life like that, Adam. But you could start. And do you know where you have to start? You gotta start with this right here. Just pick somebody and be real with them today. And here's what's amazing. Amazing. You may be worried about, oh, am I gonna pick the wrong person? Do I pick somebody that has bad advice and they're gonna lead me astray? Here's the great thing. The thing that keeps us from being real is our own pride and our own sense of self-reputation. And when we open up and we get real with somebody, it breaks that pride in our lives. So before the other person even responds, you win. If you do this, you win. Even if they give awful advice, you win. Because you've broken that pride in your life and you've broken that tendency and that temptation to fake it. The faking that's costing you and costing me. So today, find somebody and be real with them. Heavenly Father. Um, I don't know why you designed it this way, but you did. You you designed it that we have to have other people in our lives. Uh, We often feel like we just wanna get things right between me and you, between us and you. And if if we got things right between us and God, we're good. But we're missing out so much. We're missing out on so much when we do that. We need people. And I pray today for the man, the woman, the student who's in here today and hearing this. And um, They know, they know exactly what it is that they need to share and that they haven't shared. The thing that they've held onto, the thing that they've covered up and it is wearing them out. I pray for them today to have the courage to open up and be real with someone today. For the others in the room that don't have anything major. Maybe even in a spot of thinking, oh, I don't really need this. I pray, I pray for, for them as well, that they would take this step. Even if it's something small and be real with someone so they can experience the benefit that two truly are better than one. Help us with this in Jesus' name, amen.